What Remains Inside Chapter 12 The house had a humming. It was a low-frequency paranoia. I sat quietly in the middle of the room on the love seat. I did not squirm so that the plastic cover would not crinkle. It would startle me too much. My mother was sitting across from me. She was on the larger yellow, orange, and rust couch. Behind her, the mustard drapes were drawn, except there was a crack where some of the dusk light was coming through. It's all over now, I told the black kid at the party. Sober was unbearable, night or day. Now I was sitting still, frozen, back at our house, which was the worst place of all. I could picture a sniper across the street with a rifle with a silencer on. It was aimed through the crack, past my mother's head, and at me. I didn't want to move because the plastic would startle me, and I didn't want to sit there so vulnerable to those murderous eyes outside of the window surrounding the house. Why did I care about those fucking kids? My mother looked at me seriously. Her eyes were deep dark. She had her hair pulled back away from her face. She wore a kind of zigzaggy headband, which pulled the hair closest to her face tight. Then she had curled her hair so that when she combed it out, it looked like she had it done at a beauty parlor. It looked pretty that way. She looked put together that night because she was going to the bar at the small New Bedford airport to listen to Irish music and hopefully meet another man like my dad. She wasn't happy about it, but she said she had to accept that my father had moved out and is in love with another woman, a skinny, childish-looking whore who was his secretary at work. My mother said they did cocaine together and she was a coke whore. My mother said my father had become a drug runner. The heat went on and caused the curtains to rustle, then billow with hot air. I jumped and my mother looked up. What the hell is wrong with you, Donna? She asked. I don't understand why anyone would kill us about the NAACP thing, I said. Who did you tell, Donna? She asked me. Nobody, I said. She eyed me up and down. I know when you're lying. I know you. Who did you tell? I stopped for a second. Maybe she could help me. Maybe there was a way she could talk to Cliff and tell him there's no way that the kid at the party will tell anybody. It was a mistake. I didn't mean to. I don't even know who it was, a kid at a party. A black kid? Yes, but I was terrified that I told someone. I had images of the stories my mother had told me about mass murderers. I could see the bodies buried in walls, evil forces, like little children shrouded in dark cloaks surrounding a dead me. I saw the house where Richard Speck killed all those nurses. I could feel the feelings of the one nurse who had escaped, the one my mother had described, who, tied up and bound to be killed, shimmied across the floor and hid under the bed while she heard the massacre taking place in her apartment. I'm sorry, Donna, she said. She shook her sleeve to loosen the cuff. They know exactly how to put a hit on somebody. She stopped and thought about it a minute. Finally, she found her leather cigarette holder and she shook a cigarette out. She handed one to me and took one for herself. She held her big lighter and lit her cigarette, inhaling deeply. She handed the bic to me. I lit one too and the burning in my throat felt good. The rush to my head made me dizzy. They always kill loved ones. If you cross the mafia, they kill your family. You know that. My mother stood up and walked into the bathroom. I could hear her hairspray can, shh, and a couple of quick shh, shh. The house felt like it had lungs and a heart. It was pulsating and breathing. 
Its breath was slow and labored. It was an alien in this neighborhood of working-class families. My mother walked back into the room, dangling her keys. She somehow managed to pull up her nylons, holding her keys and cigarette in one hand and her purse in the other. She gyrated her hips to straighten the seam on her stockings. She was made up heavily with mascara, her orange foundation, and orange lipstick. I've got to go, Donna, she said. Mom, I asked, can you talk to Cliff? I'm not going to see Cliff tonight, she said matter-of-factly. Then she walked out of the house. A vacuum of safety rushed out. Even though she scared me, I felt safer with her. I couldn't trust my own mind, but she could talk me through this dreadful world. She understood its rules and knew how to navigate it. I heard the car door close, the engine start, and the car back out. Then the sound of the engine faded as she drove away. I stood up and walked into the kitchen. The nighttime air rushed in through the crack in the open window above the sink. The air smelled cool and fresh. It was the end of summertime. The cool air calmed, added sanity to our stuffy house. I quickly cranked the window closed. I felt guilty and sad. I wanted the window open. I wanted a normal life and to be a teenager who can enjoy being home alone. I wanted to feel comfortable watching TV without locking the doors or windows. I felt shame rush over me as I closed the window near the kitchen table. The kitchen had cafe curtains. There was a large space of open window between the valance and the curtains, which meant I could be seen from any angle on the outside. I felt naked as I hurriedly locked the window locks. I pulled the portable dishwasher out from the spot near the sink. I pushed it over to the back door, which was across from the basement door. I wedged the dishwasher between the two doors. The back door had glass panes, and it would be easy for the killer to pop the glass with a cloth around his fist, reach in and unlock the door. The dishwasher kept both the back and the basement door from opening. I felt shame rush over me again. I felt stupid. I went into the living room and leaned over the stereo. I checked the window that looked out over the driveway. Once I knew it was locked, I pulled the curtains tight so no crack existed. I checked the two windows on either side of the bay window. I moved through the house stealthily and checked every window and door. I pulled all the curtains. My mouth was dry and I took a deep breath. I tiptoed into the kitchen, feeling watched and targeted. I hurriedly opened a drawer and I grabbed a large knife. I walked back into the living room and sat on the love seat. From this spot, I was facing all the windows and doors. I could see any activity in the house and could sense the first sign of a break-in. I waited. The ceiling light flickered. I watched the long drapes behind the couch. Even though I knew no one was behind them, because I had checked, I couldn't trust my senses against the crafty mind of a killer. My arms and legs hurt from being so tightly clenched. I looked at my mother's clock, 7.30. I had been sitting still, motionless, for an hour and a half. I looked up as I heard a car door shut, not loudly. My eyes were keenly tuned to sounds, distinguishing the threatening from the benign. Get a riddle is all I could make out from a woman's voice nearby. Get yourself a Get your riddle, she said. I listened longer but couldn't hear anything else for a while. My brain felt like there were wires running through it. The wires kept my eyes alert and my shoulders tight. I listened closely and I heard a tick, tick. I tried to pinpoint the sound. Was it tapping? A screwdriver on one of the back windows 
which now were hidden in the night shadows. Tick, tick. I heard it again. I stood up slowly and walked down the darkened hallway and stood by the bathroom door and listened. Tick, tick. Slowly I pushed the door open and held my breath. I didn't know if the tapping was a trick. The fingernail of a murderer on the glass luring me into the room so a sniper could shoot me through the window. I was scared and I wanted to scream and run through the neighborhood. I wanted to be at Nana's house with Scott in the silence because I knew that even if there were murderers under the eaves of every window of this house, they weren't anywhere near Nana's house. No one lurked in Nana's basement. It was just Grandpa's wood shop on one side and organized canned goods on the other. All those murderers and keen criminal minds that my mother told me about were powerless against Nana's deliberate normalcy. I looked around the bathroom and the shower was dripping. I turned the handle, bending down, so that I was nowhere in sight of the window. I looked around the room. It seemed to be the safest place to be. I tiptoed out of the room and into my mother's dark lavender room. I slowly walked to the side of my mother's window and reached my hand under the curtain to check the lock. When my finger felt the lock, a rush of blood pulsed through me. It was unlocked. This made the house unsecured. I would have to go through the entire house, inch by inch, secure it all over again, except that it was dark out. The kitchen curtains did not cover the whole window. I would be vulnerable to the hitman, who may be waiting outside with a gun, waiting for me. The house was pulsating with energy of terror. I was frozen. One of my mother's antique clocks chimed. It rang out a harmonic ding eight times. Then the pulsating silence returned. I took my mom's phone and I carried it from her bedside table into the bathroom. I covered the cord with a blanket and then I closed the bathroom door over the cord. I sat for a moment locked inside the dark bathroom. I knew things would be all right again once the sun came up, but that was a long time away. I lay down on the pink shag carpet. It smelled wet and musty. I remembered my father saying, you don't want a shag carpet in a bathroom. But he cut the shape of the bathroom floor out of it anyway and fit it in the tiny space. Now it was smelly and dirty. I was so scared I couldn't move. Finally, I picked up the receiver and dialed. The dial tone sounded evil as if it would suddenly turn into a nightmare voice and taunt me. Nana picked up the phone. Hello? She said in her high-pitched, serious tone. Nana, I said. It's Donna. Ugh, what is it now? Nana asked. I was scared to tell her what was happening because it's crazy. Even though I knew it wasn't real, I couldn't believe it wasn't real. So I think someone's trying to break into the house, I said finally. Where's your mother? She asked after a moment. I don't know. I lied. Nana took a deep breath and her voice softened a little. I don't think there's anyone trying to break into your house, Donna. I heard some tapping and one of the windows is open. I'm sure I locked it, I said. Nana didn't say anything. Well, what do you want me to do? She asked after a moment. Can you come get me? You're fine, Donna. Just go to bed, she said and hung up the phone. It was an empty space before the menacing dial tone returned. I had used my last resort and it was gone. I opened the bathroom door slowly and peered outside. Next to the bathroom was a small closet with a space for dirty laundry on the bottom. I opened the door slowly and I crawled in. 
I covered myself in soil laundry and managed to close the door. I curled up like a baby and covered my body in soiled clothes. I felt safe. I closed my eyes and lay there for a long time in the early evening hours. I was well hidden and at the same time embarrassed, ridiculous. I knew that next door, down the street, in other neighborhoods, kids were sitting at the dining room table doing their homework or watching TV or talking with their parents. I knew that at school I could almost seem like one of them. But hidden inside this house, deep inside this closet, was me, and I was nothing like them at all.